Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. This compelling force that's working against us, friends, it's constantly working against us, whatever it might be in our world. And we're told here one way to stay anchored, you got to stop looking at that stuff. I mean, to some degree, we, we can't. We're exposed to it constantly. But we can't be fixed on it. Okay, that's the idea. And turn away from that and turn towards the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Just constantly be keeping your gaze in the direction of the Lord. So between these two, we've got to fix our thoughts, our minds. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Those things will help us to stay anchored. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. How do you stay anchored in your life? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you to not turn to the cares of this world, such as money, prestige, and materials for security. Pastor Gary teaches you that one way you can stay anchored in this life is by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the only true anchor for your soul. There will always be the adversary working against you in this life. However, by fixing your mind, thoughts, and gaze on Jesus, you can stay anchored in Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Some of your translations begin with the word therefore. In the NIV, the word therefore is in the middle of the verse, but I'll come back to that point. But it says this, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on verse 1, but it's okay. I, I think we'll still have time to get through the rest of the chapter in general. But the word therefore is an important word because it links chapter 1 with chapter 2. The previous thoughts of chapter 1 are important in the flow of the context of the theme into chapter 2. And so the word therefore is connecting chapter 1 in that in chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews makes this case that Jesus is divine because, in fact, he is God. And the writer says back in chapter 1, listen, in times past and in various ways, God spoke to us, God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he loves. And and he goes on to say that the son, Jesus, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. It's not that Jesus is like God, it's that Jesus is God. 
He is the exact representation. He's the imprint. This is why Jesus would say to Philip, have I not been with you so long? And you would still ask me, show me the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. And so Jesus makes this distinction. He's God. And because he's God, because he is superior, remember that's one of the the main themes of Hebrews, is that Jesus is better than, the word better is used 11 times, the word superior is used four times, the word greater is used seven times. The writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is greater, he's greater than angels, he's greater than the law, he's greater than the prophets, he's greater than the temple sacrifices. He's going to make that argument all through this letter. And so he begins here by talking about how Jesus is greater than the prophets, Because in times past, God spoke through the prophets, and that was wonderful. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us through his Son, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so it's as if God just puts an exclamation mark at the name of Jesus and says, Now, my authority has been spoken through Jesus. The finality and the authority of God expressed through Jesus. And so don't lose sight of Jesus, he's saying. That's why now in chapter 2 he says, therefore, because Jesus is greater than the prophets, he's greater than angels, he's greater than everything, therefore you must pay, must, must, this is not a suggestion, you must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So I'm going to put verse 1 of chapter 2 on the screen for you just just for a moment, because I want us to talk about this whole idea about drifting away. And I underlined drift away for you because I want to highlight the Greek word. The Greek word for drift away is parueo. And parueo has with it the connotation, the idea of a ship drifting from its moorings. And so this is a warning from the writer of Hebrews. Don't drift like a ship would when it has broken away from its moorings. And by definition, drifting is slow, silent, and subtle. By definition of the word we're drifting, it, we, we don't recognize it. This is the danger of it because it is so, it is so slow. It's, it, happens, it happens over a period of time. And it's a very silent thing, and it's a very subtle thing, and people can drift. They can get off course. And uh, as it relates to the Lord in particular, I read this, this quote that I'll share with you, a famous scientist that we all know, who was at one time very orthodox in his faith as a Christian, studied at Christ College in Cambridge in England, got his undergrad degree, was planning to be a pastor in the Anglican Church. And in his autobiography, however, he wrote this, whilst on board the ship Beagle, I was quite orthodox, and I remember being heartily laughed at for quoting the Bible as an unanswerable authority on some point of morality. But I had gradually come by this time to see that the Old Testament was no more to be trusted than the sacred books of the Hindus. Signed, Charles Darwin. That guy was studying for the ministry in his undergrad degree. But even on his adventures to, you know, his scientific experiments around the world and led him to the place where even in his own autobiography, he says, I had gradually, you hear that word? He says, I had gradually come by this time to see that the Old Testament was no more to be trusted than the sacred book of the Hindus. And so he just began to drift. What he believed to be orthodox 
he just slowly drifted from. D.A. Carson said, quote, we drift toward compromise as Christians. He's talking about as Christians. We drift toward compromise, and then we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and then we call it freedom. We drift toward superstition, and then we call it faith. You know, in other words, what, what Carson is saying there is that there's this propensity in all of us to just kind of get lazy in our faith and to start to drift. Now, I don't believe that the writer of Hebrews is talking about drifting into apostasy, where one denies the faith. In fact, in a little bit, he's going to talk about ignoring the faith, or some of your translations say neglecting the faith. So what I believe that he's saying in the context of this chapter is not about rejecting the faith, but neglecting the faith. It's not about rejecting the faith. It's about neglecting the faith, and it's about the possibility of getting lazy in our faith to the point where we are starting to just simply drift away. And it can happen oh so subtly, so silently, so slowly over time that we don't even know how we have drifted. And so there are some built-in questions uh, in in the passage here. The first question that I want to address with us is, why do we drift? Why do we tend to drift? And the first reason is because we lose resistance to a compelling force. We lose resistance to a compelling force. Now, th- now this is true, not just spiritually. I- I'm making a point here about all types of drifting. If you are, you know, drifting in the ocean, it's, it's the general current that is taking you in a direction because you're not resisting the compelling force of the current. And if you don't, you'll drift with it. The same thing would be true with wind. You know, wind is a compelling force. And, and, if, and if we don't you know, sturdy ourselves against the wind, then, then we'll be blown along with it. So it's that sense in a, in a spiritual way that there are compelling forces that are constantly working against us. And if we don't resist those compelling forces, then we are liable to be blown off course. You know, just consider probably, I think, the greatest compelling force that is buffeting against us is culture. I mean, it's always been that way, but the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more clearly contrasting culture is with Christianity. I mean, it used to be, you know, back in my parents' generation, that even if somebody didn't profess to be a Christian, at least they basically embraced similar morals and similar values. Not, not everybody. It's not a, a general statement. But, but overall, obviously, uh, the, the, the idea of what was right and wrong and the things that were valued as decent or indecent a generation ago or two generations ago was very different from the way it is now. So we have a compelling force of our culture that is like a wind trying to blow us off course. It's like, it's like a current that is trying to sweep us up with it. And if we lose resistance to that compelling force, in other words, if we give into it, then we'll start to drift. We have to be very careful that we don't let things like, like culture begin to, to blow us off course. There's also just world philosophies, world religions. You know, there is, in, in the, for the sake of, in the name of, you know, tolerance, and can't we just all get along, this, this great sweeping ecumenical movement that, you know, don't we all just worship the same God, which we don't, but that's just kind of a lie being perpetrated upon our world right now. And, and so, you know, all these various kind of currents, you know, and, and winds that are sweeping. We can even be blown off course by, by the wave of our own emotions. You know, if we give way to fear, 
if we give way to anxiety, if we give way to worry. These are the kind of things that are constantly compelling forces against us. And so as Christians, one of the things we have to bear in mind is that so that we don't drift, so that we're not blown off course, we have to really stay grounded. Now, I'm gonna, the second question I'm going to ask is what can we do to stay anchored? So I don't want to get ahead of myself. But listen, in Ephesians 4, 11 to 14, Paul said that it was he, that is Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's what you're about here tonight. You're here tonight because you want to be built up in your faith until we all reach maturity and unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, listen to this, Ephesians 4.14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. So Paul there in Ephesians 4 is saying, we've got to get built up in our faith. We've got to be strengthened. And this is why, in part, you know, my privilege and responsibility as a pastor is to help equip the saints, help bring us into the place of unity and maturity, because in doing that, as we all together seek the Lord and read His Word and stay grounded, we will be able to resist some of these compelling forces that are trying to blow us off course. The other thing that I think contributes to why we drift is, number two, that we lose sight of a fixed reference point. We lose sight of a fixed reference point. You ever, I'm sure this has happened to you, if you've ever gone into the ocean to swim at all, and so you, you, you leave your blanket and your umbrella and your, and your little beach chairs, and you go off into the ocean, and then you're just bobbing with the waves, and you're having a great old time, and then after a few minutes go by, you look back at the beach, and you're like, somebody, somebody stole my umbrella. Who walked away with my beach chairs? Well, it's because you, you didn't even realize it, but in the course of just the current, you've, you've kind of drifted down a little bit on the beach line. And so, so your stuff's still there. It's just you lost sight of a fixed reference point. It didn't get moved. You did. And this is the reality of the Word of God. God's Word doesn't move. God's Word doesn't change. You know, truth is not negotiable. Truth is constant. It is fixed. It is absolute. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the writer of Hebrews will say later in this book. So, so it's not that God shifts or God changes. It's that we can. We can. That's, the, that's the danger, that we have to stay fixed on the fixed reference point. I remember in 1999, Terry and I were on our way to uh, St. Vincent. I was asked to speak at a pastor's conference down there, and in the, you know, in the Caribbean, Somebody, somebody's got to do it, friends. And so, uh, so I prayed about it. I said, okay, I fasted and I said, all right, we'll come. And, uh, but some great missionaries that we support down there. And so Terry and I went, but we had a, we had a little layover in Puerto Rico on our way down to the West Indies. And so we're sitting in this little cantina in Puerto Rico. And I can remember like it was yesterday on the, they had a TV in the corner of the restaurant and on comes the news about JFK Jr. who died in, in the plane crash off the coast of Massachusetts with his wife, Carolyn Bessett, and it was discovered later that it was pilot error because JFK Jr. had not been trained. He hadn't, hadn't had his, his pilot's license very long, and he had not been trained on instrumentation. He had only been trained to be able to fly by a point of reference, and so he had to be able to visually see the land, the coast, and, and what happened was it hit dusk. He took off too late from New Jersey. He was on his way up to Martha's Vineyard in, in Massachusetts, and dusk hit, it got too dark, and because he didn't know how to fly very well from instrumentation, he lost sight, and it's this thing called spatial disorientation. 
And so he couldn't tell that he was that close to the water. And he lost sight of the land, and he thought he was higher than he was, and ended up taking it right into the ocean and dying. And, and, and it's because he lost a fixed reference point. Friends, it can be deadly for us in our faith when we lose a fixed reference point, and that reference point, of course, being the Lord, and being his word, and being truth in a very relative day. And later in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, the writer says, we have this hope, meaning the hope of Christ, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor. We need to be anchored in our faith. That's Hebrews 6, 19. We need to be anchored in our faith. So then the next question becomes, so how can we stay anchored? And so I'm, I'm going to give you just a little spoiler alert because I'm going to show you a couple of verses uh, before going there just systematically, but I, but I want you to just glance over chapter 3, verse 1, because here's the first thing he says, I want you to fix your thoughts on Jesus. So if you look at chapter 3, 1, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. And he goes on to talk about how he was faithful and how he's greater than Moses but the idea there is we have to just constantly get our minds centered on Christ. There's a lot of garbage in this world that we put in our minds, and our thoughts can deceive us, and our thoughts are not always reliable, and there's a lot of just, you know, a lot of information. We're living in the information age. We're living in the, in the information age. I forget his first name, but Foster, he wrote a book called uh, Disciplines of the Christian Faith. And I remember reading in that book years ago how he talked about that, and this was years ago, even before really the boom of the information age and technology. But he said, on average, we are exposed to more information in a single edition of, of the New York Times than Thomas Jefferson would have been exposed to in his lifetime. Information. So we get all this information, we get all these thoughts, we get all this stuff in our head, and we got to filter it. We got to filter all that stuff. And the best way to filter it is to keep our thoughts on Jesus. Isn't that right? And to really concentrate and focus and, and, and get our minds on Christ and all that he's done and who he is and his example for us. Filter everything through Jesus. And then the other thing that helps us to stay anchored, this is the only other time that the writer of Hebrews uses the word fix. Fix. Get it fixed. And that's in chapter 12 when he talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus. So take a quick glance over to chapter 12. Let me read those verses with you. So in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's from chapter 11, a great, it's what we call the hall of faith, a great list of different men and women who were just great examples of faith. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We'll talk about that in more detail when we get here. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here's verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that, that phrase there in verse 2, fix our eyes, it's a Greek word, aphoreo, and it literally means to look away from one thing and towards another. So it's this idea of here's all this, 
This compelling force that's working against us, friends, it's constantly working against us, whatever it might be in our world. And we're told here one way to stay anchored, you got to stop looking at that stuff. I mean, to some degree, we, we can't. We're exposed to it constantly. But we can't be fixed on it. Okay, that's the idea. And turn away from that and turn towards the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Just constantly be keeping your gaze in the direction of the Lord. So between these two, we've got to fix our thoughts, our minds. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Those things will help us to stay anchored. So now we can go back to chapter 2 here. So, so all of that to say that there's this potential for us to drift. We have to be very careful. Again, I don't believe it's a drifting. The argument here is not drifting into apostasy. It's, it's about neglecting our faith, not rejecting our faith, as we'll see here as we keep reading. But that, that verse 1, strong exhortation to us. And then verse 2, he says, For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will." Okay, so let's back up just a little bit. So verse 2, if the message spoken by angels was binding. Wait a minute, what was he talking about there? What message is spoke, was the gospel ever delivered by the angels? What he's speaking of here, again, he's writing primarily to Jews, to Hebrew believers. He's recalling their own Jewish history. And what Paul lets us know is something that the book of Exodus does not, said Paul. We don't know if Paul wrote Hebrews or not. But by the Holy Spirit, what we've come to understand through the writer of Hebrews is that Moses received the law from the finger of God. Exodus 31 is pretty clear that the, that the Ten Commandments given to Moses, written by the finger of God. But it appears, and this is not the only verse, I'll give you a couple more examples. It appears that angels were involved in delivering the commandments of stone to Moses, written by the finger of God, delivered by the messengers of angels as like mediators in, in delivering the commandments uh, from God to Moses. Let me give you a couple of other verses. So as Stephen was being stoned in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, he said to those who were stoning him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed. So even Stephen makes mention of angels being a part of delivering the law. In Galatians 3.19, Paul says, What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, capital S, Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. So it's kind of interesting. You look at Acts 7.53, you look at Galatians 3.19, you look at Hebrews 2.2, and it tells us that angels had some role in delivering the commandments from God to Moses. So, So the writer of Hebrews points that out. He says, the message spoken by angels was binding. Every violation of disobedience received as just punishment. So when the law was given, it's a clear explanation that God is just because we don't live up to the law. I mean, none of us live up to the law. And the Bible says, if, you've, if you're guilty of breaking at any point one law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. It's not like we're a little righteous. If you break any aspect of the law, we're guilty. And God is just in condemning us for our guilt because we sin against him. God is just in administering wrath. God is just in administering punishment. But now here's some good news. God is also just in his forgiveness. Hope 
The book of Hebrews challenges all believers of Jesus to continue to embrace him as the only hope of salvation. Too often we can find ourselves trying to keep up our faith by adding traditions back in. No one is saved because of Jesus and something else. It's only Jesus. There's still nothing you or anyone else can do to ensure forgiveness of sin. Jesus took care of it once and for all. And through faith in that fact, you can begin to grow and flourish in God's plan for you, falling more in love with your Savior every day. We're honored you spent time with us here today studying the book of Hebrews on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to more editions of Pastor Gary Hamrick's teachings in Hebrews, you can do so by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or if you're someone frequently on the go, download our mobile app to take these messages along for the ride. What a great way to keep God's Word close at hand, no matter where this life takes you. We'd love to meet you too. So if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary will lead us in another study of the Bible, and we always include time for worship and fellowship. You'll find service times, directions, and all the additional information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today for Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know.